And when we talk about beautiful, who doesn't like beauty? And that's good audience participation because nobody raised their hands on that, and that's good because everybody likes beauty, right? So what I'll do is say, and, and some of you are out of here right at the moment, but who does like beauty? Yay. Audience participation, most of you do. <laughs> anyway, good to have everybody uh, awake and alive here and uh, being ready for God's Word as I uh, brought the ladies on up here. <laughs> and thank you, guys. Thank you for doing that. That uh, just makes it that much more powerful. In a couple of weeks, we have Resurrection Day coming up, and we uh, always want to make that a little extra special. So we want to add some uh, spice to that, if I can say that, by uh, uh, bringing up uh, those same ladies and anybody else who would like to contribute in uh, some of those powerful Resurrection songs. Anyway, uh, it, is, uh, it is good to be here. Last week, we feasted in the delights of the beauty of God. You remember that? The beauty of God. We defined beauty not the way that mankind will define it, but by the way that God defines beauty through His Scripture. We will always fall short of trying to describe and thinking of beauty, but the Word of God so wonderfully expounds it. And, uh, of course, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We focused on the beauty of God last week in the sense that there were seven attributes that we used to demonstrate God's excellency and His very being, His beauty. And it related to creation. And we looked at the elements where His creation shows off His power. And some of the other things, those uh, uh, excellencies are such as the aseity of God which is really the, um, the God who is self-existent. He has always been here. Right. Then we looked at His greatness. You see that in creation. We looked at His loveliness, and we see that in creation. You just look out there this morning, and it's becoming more and more lovely, isn't it? We looked at His power, the excellency of His power in creation. We looked at His wisdom and we looked at His holiness and His goodness. Those are called excellencies by Jonathan Edwards. In his writings, he held a very high view of God. He lifted Him up as high as he could take with uh, the terminology he had, and he wanted to bring up the splendor of God. That's what we want to look at uh, today, every week really, every day. We didn't get to finish with that message, because all we did was just get a start, and uh, you could go on forever with it anyway. There are so many scriptures chock full of how high God is and His majesty. We're, we're going to resume the study on that as we now look at the beauty of Christ. The beauty of Christ, uh, His person. Everybody here that's become a Christian, we know when you became a brand new Christian, a convert, that you had this new life, you had this hope, you had this forgiveness that you never had before. The guilt had been removed. You had a, a sense of following after the Lord in, in such a way you wanted to do it relentlessly. You remember those days, those very early days. What can happen to a Christian over the course of years is that he can kind of become complacent he can become 
one who does not have the zeal that he once had or her or she had. The pursuit isn't as strong as it once was. It, it, it tends to wane. It can dull. And faith and the very passion that we should have is not always there. It kind of fades into the background. And we can take God for granted. We know He's there. We know it's about Him. We know all those elements that are really you know, important, right? And we say, I know, I know, I know God's there. I know, you know, if you're a Christian, of course. But what happens is you have difficulties in life. You have trials. We know that. The mundaneness of life sometimes, of just going through the same kind of procedure day after day, whatever that may be, and it kind of becomes tiring. And that can make Christ small in our lives. See, He's in everything, isn't He? And we don't want to make Him small. We want to make Him expand in our minds. We don't want Him to be some kind of a distant figure in the background. Where's the excitement, right? You probably ask that yourself when you've examined yourself. Where's my excitement that I once had? What has happened? You want to know? You want to know how to get that back? Do You, really, you should want it, right? You should want that. But um, we have to know how the enemy works. Our biggest enemy is what? Us, the flesh. Also, Satan, of course. And the world. The world wants to take us and pull us down. The propensity of our hearts, the very tendencies that we have, tend to lose passion. And it's an everyday thing. You know, Be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, right? So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to search the Scriptures together to be reminded... What a Lord and Savior we have. If those songs didn't do enough, that were pulled right out of Scripture anyway. As we get our mind renewed this morning, we should have another taste for the delight of the Lord. Hopefully you've had that all week, but sometimes, really being honestly, those other things can pull us down. Isn't it great to be amongst God's people And being able to be in agreement with Him on everything in the Word of God. So anyway, our mind is to be renewed. We're to have a new delight in tasting the Lord. Do you have that? Well, the purpose of this series, I guess it's turned into a series that was going to be a one-time message, and I see more coming out of this. But uh, our purpose is to have each one of us, I somehow have to have the Holy Spirit empowering me to motivate each one of us as the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us to see Him higher and lifted up. I say that all the time, that that's really the whole mode of this. We want to go a step higher on this mountain. We want to get a better view than we've had before as we climb up this mountain. Have you ever been somewhere and you say, oh, if I could just get up a little further, I could see that. You know, I could see up there, I could see down there. If I could get just a little higher... That's what we are doing by God's power and His grace. Not to achieve salvation. That's already happened if you trusted in Him. But to have a better look, a better walk with Him. The more we see of His magnificent glory, it's something to boast about. The things of the world, all that excess baggage that we have that is really not needful, becomes less and less. John the Baptist said what? that He must increase, but I must decrease. I must decrease and He must increase. 
That's what it's about. So I hope we're ready. Are you guys ready? Are you ready to put your focus on the amazing beauty of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Are you ready to look at that? Not only are these beauties to be known by us better, but we're to proclaim these excellencies. If we know that this is this great, why would we hold it here when it's just wanting to be unleashed like a lion? Let God's word speak, right? Proclaim these excellencies that take our breath away when we look at these scriptures. Jesus is a vessel of beauty. Jonathan Edwards said, He's a vessel of beauty sent to earth to manifest the glory of God. He wanted people to actually see His display of beauty in His flesh. He was actually here on earth. He wanted people to see not His physical outward, but what was truly inward. They had to see spiritually, and as Penny related, the blind lady that wrote about seeing Jesus. Turn your eyes on Jesus, right? That's really anybody can see Him if they are His and see Him spiritually. That's much better. So Christ possessed, He owned this beauty like no other creature ever. He came here to earth. He was the embodiment of beauty. He actually peeled back some of that transcendent glory for Peter, James, and John to see on the Mount of Transfiguration. That was a glimpse. That isn't what we're going to see. We're going to see even more than that one day. Now here's the deal. In John 1 and verse 18... No one has seen God at any time. We're talking about seeing His beauty, right? No one has seen Him at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He, that's Jesus, has explained Him. That's the way that we really understand the beauty, the glory of God, the triune God, of God the Father. It's only when the person of Christ came here on earth, presented Himself that way, and of course He left His Holy Spirit. So, yeah, Moses saw the backside of God's glory, and here it says no one has seen God at any time. We can say, well, I thought Moses saw it. He just saw the backside of His glory. He didn't really see God. The only way that we see God is through Jesus Christ. And so this, this week, actually, we're going to expand and take this to a higher degree than where we were at last week. And I, I left here last week as we peered through these Scriptures, not because of me, but because of God's Word. It's not about me at all. But it is about Him. And... I, pardon the terminology, but I left out of here higher than a kite. You know, just going through the Scripture. And Christ should take us even further because it's precisely seen through Him. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This is how we see God's glory through the person of Christ. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Remember, no one has seen God. Jesus Christ is God. And they saw Him in the flesh, in His humanness, and they saw some things, but not fully in the sense of seeing this invisible God. But He is the image of Him. Christ is. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. 
And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He, by the way, He's the head uh, of the church. He's the head of the body of the church. So it says here, He's the image of the invisible God. This is how we see God. And He brought Him down here for mankind to see. He's really here, God was. Go to Hebrews Go to Colossians 2.9 while you're in Colossians. Colossians 2.9 For in Him, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The whole triune God, He is the very fullness of Him. So we don't get a little bit of Jesus Christ. We get Him all. Every bit. He is the fullness of deity who dwelt in bodily form. He was actually here. By the way, He resurrected in a glorious body. And did you know that He is God, but yet He is one who has a body who will come back for us. We will see Him as He is, and we shall be like Him. 1 Corinthians 15 tells about the resurrection body. What that will be. So we'll see this very God, this Christ. 2 Corinthians No, no, no. Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He's the very essence of God. How does God show Himself? Verse 3. And He. This is about Jesus Christ. Hebrews is about He is better, He is more supreme than anything in all creation, including angels, including Moses, including everything you can think of. Okay? He is the radiance, the outraying, okay? That's the literal Greek. He's the outraying of His glory, God's glory. And the exact, get that, exact representation of His nature, the very essence of God's nature is seen in Christ. This is how we see God. When we look through the Word right now, it's the best we can get with the help of the Holy Spirit that we can get a glimpse of Christ. Are your eyes on Christ, right? And upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's dealing with all power. And of course, then it talks about He's better than the angels. And then He's, you know, He is God Himself as it explains in Hebrews 1. goes further. Turn back to 2 Corinthians 4.6. One of my favorite sections of all of Scripture. And that's really hard to say. That's why I say one of my. But look at this. Look at this, folks. This is great. In whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. That's no sight. They can't put their eyes on Jesus. They cannot. They will not unless the grace of God comes in and opens their eyes, so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the light of the good news, good news, the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. That's what we see when we open this up. The glory of Christ. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation chapter 22 all the way to the end. And back to the maps. Even Christ reigns there. Who is the image of God? There we go. The very image, the very imprint. You take a stamp, 
You pop that on there. Of course, in the Roman world, they would do that, or or the coins that they would have. That was an express image. It was an express image. This is even more exact because this being God, but it's an image of Him. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants, slaves for Jesus' sake. And here we go, verse 6 now. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God The glory of God, how? In the face of Christ. Really. It's powerful, folks. Just a few moments about the loveliness and sweetness of Christ that sets us up for the ones we'll be dealing with today. Edwards said, and I borrow from Edwards because he's one of them, maybe the most prolific writers in this country ever. Philosopher. But one who pursued God as much as anybody I've ever seen and heard of. And so I borrow a lot from Edwards today. Edwards says that there is scarcely anything that is excellent, beautiful, pleasant, or profitable but what is used in Scripture as an emblem of Christ. Now, he's called a lion, and we're going to be coming back to this at the very end. But he's called a lion because of his power, because of his majesty. The lion is the king of the jungle. He's it. I mean, he's at the top. He's called a lamb. You get that? A lion. Then he's called a lamb for his gentleness, for his compassion, for his pity. For his patience, his great love. He's called the Lamb. He's called the bread of life. I want you to catch some of these emblems, folks. This is amazing. God just comes down, speaks like, what? Uh, baby talk in our language so we can understand him. And Jesus taught in parables so that people could understand him, but others couldn't. But he, he got on the level that mankind could understand the deep things of God. Isn't that incredible? Because we are. We're just babies. We've just started eternal life, really, if you compare it to eternity, right? And so he got on this level. He called him the bread of life. He called him the bread of life. Why? Because he sustains us. He, we, we feed on him. He's called the water of life. For he refreshes our soul. He's called the true vine. Because in the vine, there is that sap that goes so that it can bear fruit. And we are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. And in that vine is the very power of God that comes to us as we bear fruit. He's also called the rose. And a lily. About this time of the year you start thinking about that, don't you? Because of His transcendent beauty and because of the fragrance, the aroma, sweet smelling. And He's called the bright and morning star because out of the darkness, the very darkest part of the, the night and then, then to the morning arises the bright and morning star. And that's the first sense of light and that's what He did when He came into the dark world. The bright and morning star. He is called the Son of Righteousness because He is 
the sun. He is the light of the world. Don't you like some of those analogies that are brought forth to us so we can understand who He is? Do you see beauty in those? Christ infinitely transcends the most excellent, loveliest of all created things. Think of the greatest, loveliest thing you've ever seen in your life and He transcends far above that. That's the Christ that we know. We don't have a small Jesus. Man, it's all about Him. Whatsoever loveliness is found in creation and in people, and there is loveliness, it's all because of Him. But I will tell you, there's always something negative that goes along with something positive here. You ever notice that? People have their good points, but yet they have their weaknesses, right? Everybody does. Every thing that is good, it's like bittersweet. At its best, it it can be sweet, it's pleasing, but there's always something sour (laughs) that goes with it. A natural corruption still is our enemy that we battle and fight. It's not so with our lovely Christ. He's called altogether lovely. We sing a song. He's altogether lovely. Pardon me singing there. (laughs) My voice is shot already. He's termed as being a sea of sweetness that's infinite. And John Flavel says this, great Puritan. He is so see, he is a sea of sweetness without one drop of gall, without one drop of vinegar, without one drop of bitterness. If you compare Christ with other things, no matter how lovely, they just fade compared to His beauty. Remember, we read in Colossians 1.17, He is before all things. That doesn't mean just in time and nature and order, but in dignity and in glory and in majesty and excellence. He has the preeminence. Folks, we just started. We have more to be thinking on here. This is the introduction. All other loveliness is derived. It's secondary. It comes from Christ. Whatever loveliness we have here in each one of us, and we do, it came from Christ. I have on there Christ all sufficient. He's all sufficient and soul satisfying is His work in the believer. He's all sufficient. Everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. He's all sufficient and His work is satisfying. Have you been satisfied by Him like no other thing? <coughs> Anything that you enjoy doing, you really like doing, and it's really good and it's great for the time, but boom, it's gone. You ever notice that? And then you try to do it again. Or try to, the people who are on drugs are looking for some kind of satisfaction. Right? The drunks. They're out there looking for something and they, so they want a little bit more. And then they want to boost it up and they want to try all the things out there. And then as they're going along, they wreak havoc on their bodies, their minds, their souls, everything. And there's no satisfaction in that. All other loveliness cannot satisfy the souls of mankind. The soul of man is to reach out and feel itself that it's confined. It's in a narrow, narrow way. It's within limits by nature. And uh, somebody has compared it to a ship in a narrow river. And in that narrow river, 
You don't have room to turn. You're squeezed in. And it's always running aground and hitting the bank. Foundering around in the shallows. But Jesus Christ, they said, in every way is sufficient to the vast desires of the soul. Do you have vast desires? Are there a lot of things on your heart that are desires? If they're God's desires, you want those to be done, don't you? In Him is a sea with all the room that you'll ever need. In Him, the soul can spread its sails and no fear of touching bottom or running in to the borders. Let's pray as we get ready for the rest of the story. Father, as we peer into Your Word, thank You so much for... Your gracious words of truth. Lord, may we not take these words of truth for granted this morning, but they would bear fruit that the seed that has been put into the ground would then come out in its beauty and fragrance that Christ has put in. He's working a work in us, and we want to allow Him and allow His Word to just control us. Help us to see the beauty of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Four things. I've got four here. I think that, uh, I think that uh, introduction was about half the message. Now, we, we use some different analogies. We're going to use some of those again. We're going to use the light of the world. This is the first one I have. The light of the world. And when we looked at the beauty of God last week, What we saw in that beauty was that creation was revealing the things like the power of God. Of course, you see His majesty. You look at creation and you see those things. And it it definitely stands out to us. But He didn't stop there. Christ puts on display the loveliness of the whole Godhead. He is the one member of the Trinity that we can see. We see through the Word of God and we will one day see. But it's even in a more direct way than what we looked at last week. It's very direct because He was God in human flesh. He came to banish the darkness away. That was His whole idea. And I want to tell you, we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of His Son, which is light. I want you to turn to Colossians 1 for a moment. Colossians 1, 14 and 15. This is all about Him. For, um, I want to pick up in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in Light. There's our word light. We're focused on the light of the world. And he, he, he took us out of darkness into light. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. He rescued us as we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what did He do? He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, isn't that beautiful? When you come out, have you ever been in an absolute, total dark room, no light whatsoever, some kind of closet where there is no light whatsoever? 
Nothing to penetrate it at all. It is dark. There's nothing you can see. You don't even like it. You can't wait to get out in the, in the dark. Well, when you come through winter, sometimes when there's a lot of dark days and it's cloudy, cloudy for days and days, and all of a sudden the sun comes out, doesn't it, doesn't it make you feel a little more alive? There's something about that. I think it's a picture, really, of what happened to us spiritually. I think that's one of the reasons. There are many reasons. One of the reasons why He gives us clouds and darkness sometimes. Complete darkness. But didn't He awaken our dead souls? Okay, Jonathan Edwards again. God the Father is an infinite fountain of light. Infinite. Did you get that? But Jesus is a communication of this light. Here's God. He's a triune God. Jesus is the one who communicates that light to us so that we can see. Otherwise, we'd miss it. Some compare God the Father to the Son and Jesus Christ to the light that streams forth from Him by which the world is enlightened. He streams from that bright light. God the Father in Himself was never seen. Tis God the Son that has been the light that has revealed Him. God is an infinitely bright and glorious being, but Jesus Christ is that brightness of His glory which He has revealed to us. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. Do you get that? That's how we can see this. Look in John 1, 4. The Gospel of John. John 1. You know the one that says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, the Word was God. For lack of time, we'll jump into verse 4. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. That's how men are lit lit up. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. And it talks about John the Baptist. Go to verse 9. There was the true light. That's what John the Baptist bore witness to, to the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now, that every man has to be explained. He's talking about believers because he does not bring the light. And not everybody is saved, right? If, if, if it's every man, everybody takes that word literally, then we're saying everybody's going to heaven. There's no such thing as hell. And we're all going... No, we believe in a heaven. We believe in a hell. And we know that certain people are saved and other ones are not. Did you catch that? He's the true light. That's where it comes from. Now I want you to turn to John 8. Verse 12. This is a study in itself. We're just taking brief glimpses at these four elements today here. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, uh, I'm sorry. Okay, all right. Good news. That that is good. The word is really good there. And what that's there, isn't it? You know, I hate to say this, but I'm in the wrong book. I did that one other time. Two, three, one. Then Jesus again spoke to him, saying, "I am the light of the world. He who follows me." will not walk in the darkness, but will have a light of life. What a promise. He is the light. 
you know, some people say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. You know, and, and yeah, I, I believe he existed here, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of other good religions out there, too. You know, Buddhism and, of course, the Muslim thing, that's, that's the biggest thing happening. And, uh, of course, the, the cults, the, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, Universalists, and all of them. And they say, yeah, but let, let's don't be so narrow, because good people will go to heaven, too. And of course, we know that there are no good people. The Bible, uh, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, shows that we are all people who fall short of the glory of God. Only God is good, Jesus explained. We need a Savior. And so when he, whenever somebody comes and makes a claim like, I am the light, I am life, I am the vine, I am the resurrection and the life, Uh, that person is either out and out crazy, a, a lunatic, or he's lying. Or, in this case, those claims are true. So nobody and no religion can just say, oh, he's one of the prophets. The Muslims say that, that he was one of the prophets, one of the great prophets. But, was, was Mohammed the light of the world? Was he life? Have you ever seen anybody saying those kind of things? Well, if they did, they were considered to be crazy. But he proved it by his resurrection, didn't he? And he is those. He made claims that nobody else did. Can you imagine me coming in and saying, okay, I'm teaching you guys, and I am knowledge. I have all the light. And it is me who you need to seek out. You guys would leave out of here in one moment, wouldn't you? This guy's nuts. But Jesus said these things. That's what makes him different than any other religion. It's Christ alone and nothing else. And if it is something else, then let's just get up and get out of here. We're wasting our time. Because he is not to be worshipped. He's not really God. You know who really is God? You are and Satan. (laughs) Because Satan is the one who makes those other religions. There's only one way. Christ. Very narrow. In John chapter 9, and aren't you glad it is narrow? Yes. If, how would you like to be in heaven with all those... Uh, how would you like to be in Muslims who were never converted? Or any other religion for that matter? How would you like to spend eternity with them who do not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? John chapter 9, you have a blind man. So since we're talking about blind people this morning, we were once blind. Spiritually. Chapter 9, verse 1. He passed by. He saw a man blind from birth. He's always been blind. Never has been able to see physically. And his disciples asked him, Hey, Rabbi, uh, who sinned? This man or, or his parents? That he'd be born blind. What They, they kind of had the theology of um, health and wealth or if you did something, then you're the one who caused it. If you, if you do something wrong, then... Uh, let's say right now, you as a believer, and you turn around and do a sin later on today, then if you don't confess that, you're going to hell. You know, there are people who believe that. That's work salvation. If it's based on that, we're all going to hell. Because we'll never have it right. It's on the grace of Christ alone, right? And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a sovereign God here in just the next couple of verses. They said, hey, did, did his... Did his uh, 
parents didn't see that was the question of the ages some of them said it was because of these parents is why he was born blind they did some kind of sin they did something for him to, to get that or what else did they say was it this man did he somehow kind of sin or you knew he was going to sin so you gave him, you know you made him blind Jesus said it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents that's not the reason here we go. Are you ready? Hold on to the reins here because this sounds kind of bad. Why was he born blind? He was born blind. Why? Jesus says, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. A lot of people would have a real problem with that. So they have a problem with Jesus. He says he was born blind. Because at this moment right now, God's glory is going to be seen. We must work the works of Him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And He spits on the ground, made a clay of the spittle, applied it to His eyes and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. He's healed. Boom. Comes back, He's seen. Everybody knows it. The Pharisees know it. Everybody knew Him. He was... The one who had always been born blind. You know blind people if you've seen them around in Jerusalem. You know that. And they, they knew it. It tripped them up incredibly. They couldn't say that it came from Christ who did this. The man, he knew that Jesus was something special. He was born for this reason. He was born that way so that the glory of God would be seen. That's how much in control God is. Hey, I'd rather have eternal life and be able to see there for eternity and to see spiritually now and still yet be blind rather than being able to see here physically and not ever see spiritually. Like the sun whose dawning brings in the light, the king's coming changes all history. Bursting forth suddenly, lighting up the sky, he banishes the night. Did you have that happen in your life? Number two, the rock. What a beautiful thing, the rock. You know what? There's a diverse excellency here. What? Well, we interpret Moses' rock, that rock in the wilderness, in a Christological way. Is it Christological? What's that? Well, a, a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Christ is seen in the Old Testament, but not in His fullest when He became man. God revealed Himself through certain ways. Sometimes He'd send angels here, and sometimes the angel of the Lord, which was Christ Himself, called the pre-incarnate Christ. And then sometimes He would show Himself through different ways. And this time it's a rock. Now, most people, when they look at a rock, they go, that's cool. That's a big rock. But I, the reason I say that, there is, there's Penny here really has an appreciation for rocks. And that's a gift that God has given her. And I'm talking about the rocks you put... No. <laughs> no. I'm talking about even, even rocks that, that you, you might see occasionally or those beautiful... Rocks that you don't really see unless you really look at them and you go, oh wow, and all of a sudden the sunlight hits that rock 
And you go, wow! You know, I mean, you see like green or you know, emerald color and, and other things. You know, just go on and on. Does, does a diamond ever interest you a little bit? Oh, you like those colored ones, right? She even had them out in, in her uh, front yard. And she's looking for certain kind of big rocks to put out there in the... Rocks are kind of lowly. You look at them for the most part, and you go, hmm, okay, that's a big rock. But that big rock of Moses in the desert concealed a river of delights. I'm talking literal river. Came out this rock. This is a beautiful thing. But when you look at that rock, you go, so? Penny's going, oh, wow. I bring that to my palace <laughs> just as the rock that Moses burst with water onto the dry, parched, and weary land and the people could drink. He got them to a real thirst. Out there working yesterday for about three hours without anything to drink. And man, I was getting dry. You know, my lips were turning just the way they are right now. <laughs> and really just dry. Oh, I couldn't wait. You know, just, I mean, that's just maybe two or three hours. And then Carolyn comes out with the Gatorade. <laughs> Christ had an exterior in his body here that really wasn't deemed as beautiful. No comeliness, it says in Isaiah. There wasn't anything about him that drew people because he was so beautiful looking. You know, the flowing locks, the blonde hair, the blue eyes. You know, and him walking down the street. You know, the movies portray that for the most part. Always, listen, Jesus probably really didn't look that cool. Especially when he's on the cross. And the thing is that he is the love and beauty. He is a fountain of blessings for his people. Just like Moses, whenever he had that single chance to strike that rock, the river flows, we do not have just a single chance we have a constant access to this flowing fountain that He has given to us. Drink from it. Continue to drink from this fountain. Isn't that beautiful? If you were really, really thirsty, you wouldn't care how beautiful the flowers were and the beautiful grass. If you hadn't had anything to drink for two days, now, they didn't have the beautiful flowers and grass to look like. But if we did, we wouldn't care about even looking at them. We would want that drink of fresh, flowing water. I hope you're getting some fresh, flowing water here today from God's Word. I might come up short in describing this, and I will. But God's Spirit and His Word should be blessing us completely here. Are you looking on the beauty of this rock? Uh, let's go to Exodus 17.6. This, by the way, is what it's all about when we turn to God's Word, right? And in Exodus 17, 6, this is, this is the chapter on the water being in, in the rock. 
And of course, the people are complaining and they're saying to Moses, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And they grumbled against Moses, you can imagine, said, Why now have you brought us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Look what God has done already. He's brought them out of this terrible place where they had been and they were slaves and it was wickedness that they were having to serve in a hard way. And they're saying, we want to go back. Look, we had water there. What kind of God is this? We don't want this God. You know, that's really what they're saying now. Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I going to do, Lord? i got two million people crying at me. What shall I do to this people? A little more and they'll stone me. I believe it. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass for the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand your staff which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Was the Lord among them? That's a picture of Jesus Christ, folks. And you go into Corinthians and it talks about when they were in the wilderness and it talks about the rock. It talks about the people following out there. Listen, they believed in God, but whenever the test really came, whenever they did get thirsty, and God did that on purpose, and what kind of God is that? Why didn't He just give them a water to drink right after that? So that they would know that He is God. We forget. You can say, is that the same thing He did with the blind man? Yeah. He calls the shots. He can do anything He wants to lead to His glory. And if it's for His glory, it's always for our good. He says, is it good for somebody to be blind? I don't want to be blind. And I, I don't know how I'd react to it. I, I would hate it. I wouldn't be able to read. But you know what? If God is doing this, then He's going to make it turn out for good because there's something more than this little time that we suffer here on earth. This is momentary light affliction. Keep your eyes on Christ, on the glory that's there, that's pointing to Him. Alright? Deuteronomy 8.15 Those are some hard sayings that I'm saying. I know. But when you really look at Scripture, there are a lot of hard sayings. We just don't want the loving God, but we want the whole God, don't we? We want the beautiful God. Things go beyond our thinking. Deuteronomy 8.15 He led you through the great and terrible wilderness. He took them out there. But He led them through. Cloud by day, fire by night. God is good. He could have magically just transplanted them into the Garden of Eden. But He didn't do that. He could have. Why did He put them through these tests? Why does He put us through tests? Because He wants us to see His beauty. He led through the great and terrible wilderness, that's not enough, with its fiery serpents. Snakes that will kill you. Fiery serpents and scorpions. And thirsty ground. You ever seen dry ground just cracked all over the place? (laughs) That's where He brought them. Why? Where there was no water. And He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. He didn't lead them to a river. 
led him to a rock. And he said, now I want you to see something. Here's what I had in mind all along. And out is gushing this river of water for two million people. Wow. What kind of God is this? This is a beautiful God. See, He worked out something good for them to trust Him. Isn't that what this is all about? Isn't that what tests are about? So that we would learn to trust Him. Why am I going through this, Dennis? I'm about ready to give up on this Christianity thing. Listen, I've, I've left that a long time ago. It just doesn't work. Look at God. Look at who He is in here. It's not working in your own mind, but think about what He is doing. Who He is. Not about you, but who He is. We're still learning, aren't we? You know what? That was a glorious work of God's power. Was that power to turn water to coming out of that rock like that? It was mercy, too. It was a blessing to the thirsty people. And when you've been thirsty and He gives you water to drink, when He gives you blessings, what do you do? You give thanks to God, don't you? He led me through that wilderness. You know what? There's a lot of things that look like rocks to us, seemingly ordinary. And then when we really see what He's doing, it's just things are flowing. It's a fountain of spiritual nourishment there to lost mankind. He was a fountain to us when He brought us to Christ. And we are to enjoy Him. We are the ones who are low. We're ordinary. We're unworthy. He came to us. Are you thinking on the things of earth? Are you thinking about your own little self? you think how you got offended? think about how things haven't been going right for you? I want to tell you. I want to give you encouragement. We have, every one of us, equal and infinite access to this beautiful Christ the light of the world, and the rock. The next one is the spiritual son, S-U-N. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. What a great God. What a beautiful Jesus Christ. What a Savior we have. Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, last chapter in the Old Testament, one of the last few verses that he gave his people for 400 years, they did not get any more revelation from him until the, uh, the New Testament. Malachi 4.2. Look at this. But, if, but for you who fear my name, fear is the beginning of knowledge, isn't it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where it starts. He's talking about true believers. Those who fear Him are the ones who are true believers. The Son, S-U-N, of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you'll go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You may not identify with that. I think Stanley and Sue would probably identify with that really good. You have calves. Calves are really important. <laughs> and then when they, you know, when they're at least as, you know, they're, they're being released here. They skip about like calves in the stall. They're glad to get out of there and go and go eat. <laughs> if light be pleasant to our eyes, how pleasant is that life or light of life springing from the sun of righteousness? I'm going to borrow from Edwards here. 
I'll quote this and see if this goes along with our very time that we're in right now. I mean, this, I think there's grass just growing as you, you can see it. <laughs> the face of the earth seems to rejoice. Word picture here. When the sun comes to shine pleasantly upon it in the spring... The pastures are clothed with green grass and many pleasant flowers that open their bosom to receive the sunbeams. How are the trees as it were clothed with garments of rejoicing with green leaves and beautiful and fragrant blossoms as though they sang and shouted for joy at the influences of the sun. Does that explain that? Does that help? Um, Zach has a great big huge tree out in his front yard. That's a Jane Magnolia. And it has these great big, big blossoms on them. And I've got to ask Zach, have you seen any of those today or yesterday? They just started yesterday, actually. Bingo. Those are beautiful. Those are gorgeous. I can't can't wait to go and see that tree. We, We have one out in our front yard, but it's not as big as his. His is huge. And by the way, you can go by there a few weeks later and see that you now have what's not a green grass, but you have like pink grass. They just cover them all. That's how many flowers there are. But they're absolutely gorgeous. Really cool trees. They don't last very long. You ever notice we get flowers and roses, boom, they come out, boom, they're gone. God says, hey, look at this. Look at the, look at the beauty here. Look at what creation does. And it's gone. He says, just giving you a taste. I want more. So you put in different flowers and different stuff, go through the summer, and then boom, fall comes, everything wilts, and then you have winter. And then spring comes along again, right? But, you know, I think that's all designed, ultimately, it's, it's all for our good. Isn't it great to have seasons? But ultimately, it's pointing to the diversities of who God is. It's talking about His beauty. One of these days we'll experience the beauty eternally. And it will not die out. Boy, it's great. (laughs) The sick soul by these beams is restored as plants that have grown in shady and cold places appear sickly and languishing. And if a shade be removed and the sunbeams come to shine down on them, will revive and flourish or is the clear shining of the sun after the rain. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. That's why I use Edward so much. He puts things into something we can relate to so easily. I mean, those word pictures are sticking out, aren't they? So, you know, the sun brings comfort in the spring. You've been cold all winter, no matter what. You put sweater on, you put, you know, a coat on over that, and be in the front room sometimes. uh, You know, turn the heat up. No, I'll just put on a sweatshirt, you know. And uh, comfort. Comfort of the spring, the sun comes out. Christ is our comfort. He he restores. He's our comfort. He is sweet to the spiritual eye of the believer. Splendid. Look in Psalm 45, verse 2 and 3. I've got to hurry here now. 45, 2 and 3. Feast on this. This is about the king. This is about the king being married. This is, he's a bridegroom. He has a bride. This ultimately is the picture of Christ and His church. But it's, it's about the king. 
God is speaking to the Son here. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. God, thy God, right? You are fairer than the sons of men. You are fairer than... Fairest of 10,000. Verse 3. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. This is God, the Father, saying to the Son, you got your sword, your mighty one, in your splendor and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The people's fall on it. Shows his power. And he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever in verse 6. Did you get the idea? This is the one that sweetens us, restores us. You have pain. You have suffering. Are you down? It's brought on by the sin, this fallen world that we're in. The Son has healing in His wings, it says in Malachi chapter 4. Did you remember that verse? Healing His wings. The Son of the Spring revives the green grass and all the plants as if they were dead and causes a resurrection from the dirt. You have things resurrecting out of that ground. Isn't that incredible? That's a picture of the resurrected Lord. And He restores our hearts too. Whenever He brought us to Christ, what we have? New life. And we were called new creatures. And so He warms our soul. So we find hope. We find restoration of this connection to the Son of Righteousness. The last one, we're on number four. The Lion and the Lamb. This is one of the greatest sermons ever preached by Jonathan Edwards. And I know what everybody thinks when they think of Jonathan Edwards. One thing. He preached that one famous sermon. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Scary one. As preached during the revivals. But that wasn't his only topic. Basically, what we've been talking about today is what he really dwelled on. And he did a sermon out of Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. So now we have to do his sermon. Are you guys ready? We might be here a long time. <laughs> I'm going to have to cover this lion and lamb thing because this is kind of where we started. This is amazing. And this is the beauty of God, folks. Now, he called this, I think it's kind of like a subtitle. The admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Christ Jesus. The admirable, you admire, conjunction, things that come together, of diverse, you know, diverse, many different, excellencies or beauties, perfections in Christ Jesus. So now what I'm going to do, probably in five minutes, is I'm going to do just a brief excerpt from Jonathan Edwards' sermon based out of Revelation 5, 5 and 6. And if you don't remember anything today, remember Revelation 5, 5 and 6. And sometime today, or before you go to bed tonight, you might want to turn to Revelation 5. There was nobody worthy to open the books. Nobody was worthy And we come to verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold. I want you to look at this. You ever seen anything just amazing? You always want to share it with somebody, don't you? 
When you see something, you don't keep it to yourself. I'm not telling anybody about this. I've got a hold on this. Great. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. He's worthy. He's called the lion. He's called from the tribe of Judah. That's the only tribe that a king can come from. And not only that, from that tribe, but David came from that tribe. He's from that line of David. How specific is that? Go to the book of Matthew and you'll see. That's about the king, the book of Matthew. And he says he's worthy to open this book. He came from this. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures. Now, <laughs> you have to really try to fathom this. I mean, he's just seeing something that's just blowing his mind. This is the revelation of Christ. That's what this book is about. And the elders, a lamb, standing as if slain. Can you picture that? Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, and sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures, twenty-four elders, fell down before the Lamb. Fall down to worship. Each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Uh, Might as well just read this. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Verse 5 and 6. Lion. Lamb. Diverse excellencies. I mean, this is diverse as you can be. You can imagine the lions, the Detroit lions. The Calvary high school lions. Lions, lions. The St. Louis lambs. Well, they call them rams there, which is different, you know, with the you know the powerful horns, and they come in there ramming you. But lambs, I don't think I've ever heard uh, um, an athletic team having the name of a lamb. Firstly, the lion excels in strength, the majesty of the lion in his appearance. The infinite highness and majesty of Christ is seen in that view of the lion. I'll read just a little bit. The infinite highness and majesty of Christ. Did you? What was the first word that I said? Infinite. Infinite. Expand on this. The infinite highness. A king is a king and only has so much ruling. And God gives that to him. Infinite highness and majesty. That means it goes on forever. We'll never be able to understand this infinity, highness, majesty. And here we go. This is Jonathan Edwards. Christ as He is God is infinitely great and high above all. He is higher than the kings of the earth, for He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is higher than the heavens and higher than the highest angels of heaven. So great is He that all men, all kings and princes, you get 
this, are as worms of the dust before him. All nations are as the drop of the bucket and the light dust of the balance. Yea, and angels themselves are as nothing before him. He is so high that he is infinitely above any need of us, above our reach that we cannot be profitable to him, and above our conceptions that we cannot comprehend him. Proverbs 34 what, 30 verse 4, What is his name and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Our understandings, if we stretch them ever so far, cannot reach up to his divine glory. Job 11 verse 8, It is high as heaven. What canst thou do? Christ is the creator. Christ is the possessor of heaven. He is the sovereign Lord. He rules over the whole universe. He does whatsoever He pleases. This is Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. His power is infinite. His knowledge is infinite. His wisdom is perfect. None can take that away from Him. He is immense, inexhaustible. His majesty is infinitely awesome. And in your old King James, awful. Awful. Awesome. It's so much that it just blows you away. I mean, and it just keeps on going. That's the infinite highness and majesty of Christ in brief from Jonathan Edwards from the admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. The second one is the infinite lowness and condescension of Christ. He's high. He's low, humble. He's a lamb. Lion, lamb. Do you get this? The the diverse excellencies of Jesus Christ. Can you guys say that? Diverse excellencies of Jesus Christ. Get that in your vocabulary. Think about this. And I'll read this. We're getting to the end, okay? And yet, He is one of infinite condescension. None are so lower. But Christ's condescension is sufficient to take a greatest notice of them. He condescends not only to the angels. He condescends to poor creatures of men. And He not only condescends to the princes, the kings, the rulers of the world, but He condescends to the ordinary people. And then He condescends to the poor of the world. He condescends to the commonly despised by fellow creatures. In 1 Corinthians 1.28, I would have you turn there, but you know it. The base things of the world and the things that are despised hath God chosen. Goes to the low. Condescends to take notice of beggars. Remember when Jesus was here on earth? Little children. He condescends. Suffer little children to come unto me. He condescends, and here this takes all of us in, to the most unworthy, sinful creature, those that deserve nothing, those that deserve hell, have infinite ill deservings. And He condescended to us. He came to this earth, and His object was to die for our sins, to pay the ransom for His children. He became our companion. He became our friend. The God of the universe who is supremely high and exalted has become like us when He became a man and felt the things that we feel. 
He felt the pain and much more than we'll ever feel. He took on our nature, became like us, abased Himself to go to death for us. Is that matched in condescension? Nothing can condescend. There is where the lion and the lamb meet together. His highness, His lowness for us, for His glory. And I'm just going to do terms here. No explanation. It's time to quit. Infinite justice, infinite grace. Is that a divine excellency? Infinite justice. We all should be judged and sent to hell. Grace, He sends that upon His people. Infinite glory, infinite humility, lion, lamb. Infinite majesty, infinite meekness, the meekest who's ever lived. What a relationship. Obedience, supreme dominion. A lion that still appears as a lamb. Revelation 14.1 it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion. I close with this. The Lamb is for us. The Lamb is the gift. He possesses this gift that none should ever perish. Eternal life began because the Lamb, Jesus Christ, condescended. Eternal life began and will never end. That's what it means. It's been started. It will never die. It comes from heaven and it takes its bearer to heaven. Those who have this gift are wandering in the wilderness right now. We wandered in the wilderness for so long. We are actually in the promised land, but yet we wait for the ultimate promised land, really. We wander in the wilderness. Matter of fact, we're tossed by the waves of the ocean. Let's, let's be honest. We get tossed about sometimes. Life is hard. God is good. Amen. That's diversity there too, isn't it? But we'll arrive in heaven at last. And that's what Revelation is leading to. I look to a lamb. A lamb stood on Mount Zion. The saints will be transformed. We are, we are being transformed right now. Have you gone from one level of glory to another level of glory? I think it's 2 Corinthians 3.18. we will be transformed into a bright and pure flame. We will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. The little flashlights, the little candle lights that we have right now, they're going to be, and it's still coming from the source of Christ, we're going to be so bright. We'll shine forth as the sun. It says that in Daniel chapter 12, I believe. We're going to shine forth. We, we, we do now. We're the lights of the world. And that's what we'll get into next week about the church and the beauty of the church. Incredible. This body of Christ. Incredible. And we, by being and looking at Christ, the divine person, we will also ascend up to God. He's the Mount Zion. It's an infinite distance. We have access to Him now. But we'll have full enjoyment of the Son in the absolute, most fullest, complete way.
In the meantime, rejoice, people, because we are the few that really see this light, the light of the world. He has turned the light on. Keep pursuing Him relentlessly. Father, You're a great God. Help us to focus on You more and more. Help us. We're so weak. But Christ is our strength. Thank You this morning for worshiping with Your people. I consider it a great honor to just be able to fellowship with these people. I do not deserve it. It is a privilege. It's a blessing. And thank You for them. Thank You for Your Son, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.